0: Start on demand.
1: demand. $120 million in risk pay is being doled out to Manitoba's low income essential frontline workers. But to be eligible, they have to make less than $2,500 a month. Is that threshold too low? We'll talk racism and policing. The Winnipeg Police Association weighs in on the death of George Floyd and answers some of the accusations that come from members of our community. And what's the worst sunburn you've ever had? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's back. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, June 3rd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb, welcome back. Thank you. Good to
2: be back. Did the two well,
1: days give you an extra charge to the battery?
2: No. I just, You know, well, you always want more. You know? You, you just want more. That's the kind of personality I have. It's good, but could it be better? Yeah, I think it could.
1: You went out to Riding
2: Mountain? Yeah, I spent a couple days out there, and uh, the park opened up Monday, so... Uh, we went out and spent a few nights there. Beautiful weather. It was so, so, so lovely out there. And honestly, the cell signal is not the best out there, which was also the best thing for me for the past few days, just to take a break from my Twitter feed and my emails and all the rest. And I read, I think, four or five books over the last four days. Holy smokes! Yeah. Just relaxed and read and not did, tried to stay away from the news for a bit, which was just a good mental health break. I mean, I was thinking this morning about what a crazy... You, just with COVID alone it's been insane and then you throw in the events in minneapolis and elsewhere and the stress of that, that that's putting on people and just the pain you have in your heart sometimes it feels just for others that i the break was badly needed so thank you for asking
1: all right and greg uh, i mean you loren mentioned the, the the break for mental health i know yesterday you were lamenting i think you said the word the word the words your brain was fried yeah, my
0: brain is fried, and for the very reasons that Lorraine outlines, and it's great to have you back, to uh, Lorraine. I'm so jealous you got to go up to Wasagaming, one of my favorite parts of the world as well. It's just so beautiful there. I think so many of us could use a a little bit of a reboot right now. Unplug, and you know, you wait thirty seconds to re plug in your computer before you you reboot it. I think we could all use five or six days unplugged before we reboot right now because every time you turn around there's something new happening in the news it can be a little bit overwhelming and even for us we had a we had a chat to take you behind the, the veil of uh, what happens here we had a staff meeting a uh, a virtual staff meeting yesterday and and a lot of us admitted that even for us where this is our lifeblood this is this is what we thrive on uh, news and and bringing you your information, it is overwhelming for a lot of us right now to be constantly under the barrage of, of changing narratives and and unbelievable news stories. Things that that you might imagine. One of the things that we've seen in the last nine ten weeks. Uh, <sighs> We've got four or five of these major stories going on right now, and 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 I think it's a lot for, uh, for for everyone, Brett.
1: Yeah, so if you want to weigh in and let us know how you're feeling about everything, you can just text us, 204-780-6868. We would also like you to let us know if you have received your MPI rebate check and if you were surprised by the amount. I got mine yesterday. And And? the average was 140 to 160, so I was kind of hoping for that 150, but uh, came in a little bit light, uh, 129, so still not not bad, but it was lower than anticipated, but we're learning uh, that a lot of people are getting much lower. Greg, uh, you said you got yours? Yeah, we got both hours yesterday and uh, the math seems to add up. OK, I think
0: the number was around 10 percent. And I would say we, uh, we we fell into that category of getting about 10 percent of our premiums back. So uh, we'll take it. Uh, very happy to know that nobody at MPI has been laid off to this point. So uh, I I put that check, took pictures of them and, and virtually deposited them uh, in good
1: conscience yesterday. McNabb, did you get yours yet?
2: Nope, no check. But we are a little bit south of Winnipeg, so maybe that extra 25 kilometers takes three more days or something. I don't know. It's possible. I, it is funny. It's hot. How the just... horse is tired. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny though. Like I, I used to, when I had things that I really needed to be delivered quickly, I used to get them to 201 Portage because it would sometimes be a, a difference of three days in getting my mail. And then some days you'd have it at the exact same time. So there's no rhyme or reason for it. But no, I checked the mail last night after you texted Brett and uh, well, my husband checked the mail. Who am I kidding? <laughs> uh, and no check.
1: <laughs> okay. So let us know if you got it. 204-780-6868. And we got about 90 seconds here. Uh, this clip that you sent yesterday of Justin Trudeau is priceless. Let me just hit it here.
3: You've been reluctant to comment on uh, the words and actions of the U.S. president, but we do have Donald Trump now calling for military action against protesters. We saw protesters tear gas yesterday to make way for a presidential photo op. I'd like to ask you what you think about that, and if you don't want to comment, what message do you think you're sending?
1: And now the long pause. He's looking down, now he's looking up. He's licking his lips, kind of smirking. Like, hmm, oh, what do I say here? And then I think there's a grunt coming.
0: No, that's me. <laughs> but what happens if you're not talking through this clip? What happens oh, here we in go. the radio world? We all watch in horror and
3: consternation what's going on in the United States. It is a time uh, to pull people
1: together, but it is a time to listen. It is a time to learn what injustices continue despite progress uh, over years and decades. 21 seconds that delay and to answer your question greg we have a dead air alarm so had we just let that clip play out as it went there'd be a bright red siren going off in master control It would automatically call our engineers and wake them up if they're not awake yet so (laughs) Uh, but what was your reaction uh, to that loren when you saw the long pause
2: I counted it first I played it back three times just to see how long that was I I think it was pretty deliberate you know there's some people that argue he didn't say much didn't say enough uh, and I think the message was in the pause it was the condemnation was there in the pause some people are saying that's part of his theatrics that uh, Trudeau has sometimes been accused of having but no I I thought his pause was basically a way of saying what do you want me to say here man like uh, that's that's what that was about
1: Tackling McGarry and McNabb, grocery store clerks, security guards, social workers, they're all included on a long list of essential workers who could be eligible for a one-time payout from the government. Premier Brian Pallister said last month that low-income
0: frontline workers would be able to apply for the payment through a partnership with the federal government. It's up to each province to decide who should qualify, and as Global's Brittany Greenslade explains, some say it's too restrictive.
4: Cleaners, bus drivers, grocery store workers, thousands of Manitoba's lowest paid essential workers are getting a bonus.
5: Rewarding our frontline people who took additional risks to go to work.
4: The joint federal-provincial risk recognition program will dole out $120 million to eligible low and middle income workers who worked high-risk jobs during the pandemic.
5: From nurses to personal care home staff to grocery store cashiers, those who stock shelves, security guards, bus drivers.
4: But the one-time payment will only be available to eligible frontline workers who make less than $2,500 a month and have not received the CERB payout from Ottawa.
5: We think approximately 100,000 workers could be eligible. The amount could be around $1,000, but don't hold me to that because it depends on the sign up.
4: The premier met with 15 different groups, including the MGEU, who says this will help some of its members. We have a large chunk. We've
2: got liquor workers, highway workers that should be eligible for it. We're part of it. We've got health care aides, home care attendants, For instance, uh, you know, that our low income
4: earners as well are not, uh, they will meet the criteria. But some involved in the process say the $30,000 a year salary limit is too restrictive and means thousands won't qualify.
6: Many people on the call were calling for it to be what it's been in other provinces, which is an hourly subsidy for frontline workers. Uh, increase their wages by a certain amount, right? But government said, no, 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 no. It's going to be a, a flat rate. We're doing a flat rate. That was a non negotiable.
4: The Premier says workers can start applying online Wednesday. Brittany Greenslade, Global News.
2: So, it seems to be some confusion here. You heard the Premier mention nurses as one of the positions that might be eligible for this top-up. But in a statement yesterday, the nurses' union said the income threshold that's been set by the province actually excludes most nurses. So the union president Darlene Jackson says only a small number of LPNs will be eligible and only if they work significantly less than full-time, because again, there's that income threshold. Darlene Jackson writes, pitting nurses against retail workers, truck drivers, and lower-income workers in the midst of a pandemic is simply wrong. And that's addressing the fact that they sort of negotiated for how this would work or brought unions together to see how this might make the most sense. And as we said, it's causing some confusion. We got an email to our newsroom inbox this morning from a healthcare worker, Brett, who said, most of us don't qualify for anything, yet we're called heroes. And so they've got some questions.
1: Yeah, there are many questions about the program, including who qualifies and how much money they will get. Uh, Jeff Traeger is with the United Food and Commercial Workers. You heard him briefly in Brittany's story. His concern is that it misses many key people. The
6: premier said that they, he wanted to uh, put the amount at $1,000. He said that early on. And uh, I think the Minister of Finance's office worked towards that goal. And unfortunately, uh, you know, they're calling this a risk recognition program as opposed to a wage subsidy. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people aren't going to get this, and including many of our grocery workers. And one of the reasons grocery workers won't get it is because of the $2,500 minimum monthly threshold. Uh, so many of them worked extra hours and overtime hours during the pandemic when the stores were, uh, crazy busy. And so as a result of that, they earned more than that, not what they would normally earn, uh, but they earned more than that, and they're not going to qualify for to be paid for this.
0: Yeah, and if you uh, received any SERB, it's supposed to automatically disqualify you from applying for this. The Premier mentions 100,000 people eligible to apply, but based on the income threshold... How many people are going to qualify for this? So $120 million, I don't know if they're gonna be able to, based on this threshold for income, they may not be able to distribute That entire amount. Uh, It sounds like there's a a flawed system here, guys.
1: Question of the day results yesterday afternoon on this at CJOB.com, brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. Some essential workers are entitled to part of Manitoba's $120 million wage top-up fund. How do you feel about that? 56% say I don't qualify, but I still think it's a good idea. 40% say I don't like it, and 4% say I qualify, so I love it, and I need it. Cast your vote at CJOB.com. Backling McGarry and McNabb, yesterday at this time we had a conversation about how hot is too hot because it hit 31.4 degrees on Monday, and many were saying that's... Too hot. Well, we want to have a follow-up conversation on sunburns because you know I've been sitting on my balcony. I try to get in a couple hours every day, but I'm i become almost militant with my sunblock use because I do not want to get a sunburn. Because over the years I've I seem to be burning a little bit quicker. Uh, and I think the the example I always point to, and this is I still this still makes me laugh. It wasn't funny at the time, but the result was hilarious. I uh, went to the cabin. My buddy had a cottage out in Sandy. Hook, And we got there about an hour before everybody else. So we just pulled out a couple of lawn chairs and sat in the sun, uh, took our shirts off and just got some rays was the first real exposure I'd had to the sun uh, that season. And because my stomach was pasty white, and I didn't put on any sunblock, we sat there for only an hour. And the ensuing sunburn was so painful, and because the rolls of, on my stomach <laughs> had folded up, when I stood up, I was like, pink, white, pink, white, pink, white. I looked like a man lantern <laughs> It was ridiculous and painful, so I learned my lesson. Uh, always wear sunblock, but sometimes you forget, and then ouch. So let's go around the horn here. Loren, why don't we start with you, our red-headed friend, uh, I'm guessing you've had a bad Why? sunburn. What are
2: you trying to say? <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing. <laughs>
1: Fair skin case. I'm, <laughs> I'm guessing you've had a sunburn or two in your day.
2: Oh, have I? There was a point right up until I think I, I want to say my late twenties, where I was partially convinced that I could do it, that if I could just figure out a way or be in the right country or closer to the equator or something, that I would like finally get a tan. But no, I have had two real painful doozies, like just awful, that to this day I will never go outside without putting, like if I'm at a beach or something, I don't expose my back or my stomach or my legs without just a ton of sunscreen. Yeah, one time in uh, Thailand with my sister, we I can't remember if we fell asleep on the beach. But we both burned ourselves so bad that we couldn't leave our room for two and a half days, just lay there shivering, you know, because it gives you like a heat stroke feeling, shivering on our beds, blistering, peeling, disgusting. And uh, that's the last time that I've ever laid on a beach without immediately putting sunscreen all over my body. But I'm still I'm still guilty. I just yesterday burned my shoulder a little bit because I just didn't think it was that hot out was biking with the kids. And then, sure enough, a bit of my par- shoulder is burnt. So I'm just—I'm still very dumb when it comes to this.
7: <laughs> very <laughs> dumb. What about you, Kelly Moore? Oh, I'll tell you, I when you mentioned this, Brett, it brought back memories. Uh, I was probably it was in my early twenties, uh, so a little longer ago than when McNabb was in her early twenties. Uh, we were on a friend's boat in the middle of Shushwap Lake, and we were there all day. And I, I don't know how. Uh, you get more sunburned than the reflection off water or snow when you're skiing. But I was absolutely red to a crisp. It did not help that when we were on land, we had had a few wobbly pops. And uh, I had to go, I was working in tires at the time. The next day I went to work and I could barely swing the pickaxe that you needed to uh, bust down the tires. And And just like the red, I remember going home. And falling asleep and having the shivers, so I must have suffered from heat stroke. But I never, ever did that again. That uh, it was just brutal. Yeah, that sounds painful.
1: These are these are bringing back painful memories. What about you, Jeff
5: Braun? I I'm, I must be the lucky one because I don't have any specific memories about being sunburned. I know I have been sunburned, and I know I've, it's been unpleasant enough that I go out of my way to not stand in the sun for very too long at all even when i go for a walk i, I always put a hat on even if it's no matter what the temperature or the, the conditions in the sky or whatever but usually if i'm outside i, I quickly i go stand underneath the tree and i opt for shade immediately
1: with a glass of uh tepid water that's right <laughs> okay forte <laughs> um, i'm like jeff i i don't
3: Burn very easily. Like I have been burnt, of course. Uh, usually just on the shoulders. That's the worst. It's on the shoulders. That's where I get the worst. But I remember one time I did. Like I don't even know how my legs got burnt. And then trying to sleep at night, like you toss or turn. Like my legs were just like ah, like it just <laughs> it burns. It stings. Yeah. But uh, luckily, I'm like Jeff.
1: I don't really burn. Uh, Eve texting us saying the worst sunburn was in St. Croix of the U.S. Virgin Islands. It was a stopover on our cruise, and we baked on the beach and played with jet skis. To say I was lobster red was an understatement. It was almost a burgundy. That's what I get for being a pasty white guy in February down there. The next few days were quite painful as my skin was so dry and crinkly it was almost bleeding. My God, Eve, that sounds awful. What about you, Macklin? I think the worst uh, sunburn I ever had was on a
0: cloudy day down in uh, cabo san lucas you think about the sun and the heat being involved in your in your sunburn but it's not it's the uv rays and I was out all day and because it was cloudy i didn't put sunscreen on i got back to the hotel my brother looked at me you dummy he goes where's your sunscreen it was cloudy he goes it's the UV rays. It's not the sun. So my younger brother uh, taught me a little bit of science that day, and I learned my lesson. But my poor mom always think about the time my mom used to drive courier. Do, does anybody remember Zipper Courier? and zipper, Red yes. uh, ro- <laughs> And road Runner Courier back in the day before that? My poor mom, she used to work so hard, and uh, she drove courier for a few years, and she was out driving around and, of course, had the window down and her arm, you know, using the uh, – How would you use it? uh, Describe it. The uh, the. The edge of the of the uh, door, yeah, right yeah. window down, right putting her arm on the door, and she came home blistered and everything. She just didn't even realize that her arm had been in the sun all day long. And my mom was fair skinned, too. Boy, she could get some doozies. So uh, thinking about my mom and and her bad sunburns over the years, she never seemed
1: to learn the lesson though. Another listener is saying, "OMG, the worst sunburn I've ever had was when we went to Falcon Lake for the summer, and I was on my early in my early teens, fell asleep for two and a half hours on my back and." Two hours on my stomach, I looked redder than uh, again the lobster. Uh, But the worst thing was when my mom and my mair put Noxzema on me, and uh, bubbles the next morning were gross. So I think that's one of the things I'm scared of too, because I did fall asleep on my balcony last week or the week before for I don't know an hour. If I didn't have the sunblock on, I probably would have cooked. Lots of text messages coming in this morning at 204-780-6868 on a number of topics, like your worst sunburn that you've ever had, but also uh, just we've got inundated with texts. And thank you for all the feedback on this risk pay. Uh, that is being handed out by the province. It's actually the question of the day now at CJOB.com. Manitoba's essential frontline workers will get $120 million in risk pay, but have to make less than 2500 bucks a month to be eligible. Is that threshold too low? Yes or no? You can cast your vote at CJOB.com. For Mr. Furnace. don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. And we've just put that poll up on Twitter as well. Loren, what are some of our listeners saying?
2: Well, it just comes down to this idea we've heard from different people with different unions and companies saying, you know, you kind of are pitting some of the frontline workers against one another. And that kind of feels like what we're hearing from our listeners because there's all these questions coming in saying, well, do I qualify or what about this category of worker and all the rest? And so, for example, one of our first texts this morning was uh, from Ken and he wrote to say, Another chunk of cash going out to those working through COVID-19. Private sector cleaners are included in this plan. Meanwhile, those that are keeping our schools safe... The government keeps saying that we are, have been excluded. Caretakers have been one of the only constants in the last 10 weeks, but have not received the bonus bumps retail saw or have been included in any government program. So he might be somebody who works in the school because it's public sector, not going to be able to even apply regardless of wage for this top up. But the private sector cleaners might be. Uh, That's according to how he reads the criteria. And then another one from Adam Gregg, which I thought was a great point because we were talking about this income threshold. He said, I don't know how anyone is going to qualify because during this time some people were actually working extremely long hours as well as overtime, and that now makes them ineligible. Adam says, great idea, but garbage putting it forward, Greg.
0: I think that's one of the points that MGEU spokesperson Jeff Traeger made. Uh, We played some of his comments earlier this morning. He was on with Richard and Julie yesterday. This idea that grocery workers was the example that jumped out for me. A lot of grocery stores were adding a couple of dollars an hour to the base pay to as a thank you in support of those workers that were you know, on the front lines, uh, face-to-face with uh, customers every single day, people like uh, all of us who need to get their groceries. And because of that and the extra hours that they might've worked, this is gonna take them beyond that threshold in terms of income to qualify for this. And the list of workers, Brett, that qualifies is extensive. I'm just on the province's website right now. Uh, there's a long list in healthcare, social services, justice and corrections, family violence prevention, accommodation services, retail services, transportation. And then if you click on each of those tabs, there are, you know, up to a dozen or more of uh, you know, workers that are eligible. So, you know, there's a long list of people who can apply for this. But the question is. Uh, that we're asking right now, do enough people qualify based on this threshold for income? It's about $2,500 uh, for a month. There was 10 weeks involved here. You have to have worked at least 200 hours in those 10 weeks, and but you can't have earned more than works out to about uh, 50, uh, $16 an hour, just under $16 an hour. Then that's gonna take you uh, out of uh, qualifying for this.
1: Edward texting us saying, are us teachers not not considered essential. I worked through this entire pandemic without a day off, still going strong today. Edward also reaching out to us on Twitter as well at 680CJOB. And another text uh, from a letter carrier who says, I've been busier than ever with a massive increase with online shopping deliveries, as well as a ton more than normal government mailings to the point of overtime most days. So then that person probably will be ineligible as well. So I'm not, I don't know what to feel about this. I think, obviously, I think it's great that our frontline workers are being uh, rewarded for having to be at risk. uh, But at the same time, even though they're at risk, if they make a certain amount of cash, then they're ineligible. So I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm curious to know how these decisions uh, get made, Lauren.
2: Or what's the point, right? Is the point about rewarding people who have been there through one of our hardest times in terms of coming to work every single day in jobs that many of us might not have called essential before because perhaps we hadn't thought of it or or considered it? You know, our grocery store workers, our truck drivers, all these people that have been going in day in, day out. Is the point about saying thank you to them in some sort of monetary fashion? And therefore, the thank you, does it, should it go to everyone and not just some? Or is it about trying to get money into the hands of people who might need it most? And if that's the case, then, then again, who are you rewarding? Because if there's a lot of folks out there who've been working a lot of overtime or putting in extra hours, well, eventually at some point, life goes back to normal for them, right? Their salary goes back to normal, but for this very brief period are considered above the the wage required the wage threshold so it's, it's confusing to me because if the point is to um, help out and or give thanks and or have some sort of contribution back to uh, our frontline workers then this might be missing the point depending on where you sit
0: mm-hmm. and you know what i can also hear people right now uh saying uh Aren't you just happy to have a job? That's the flip side of this. Uh, People that have been working overtime and that are still gainfully employed, there's a lot of people out there that have taken pay cuts, that have been laid off, have lost their places of business altogether that are going to be raising their eyes on this. So it's interesting how things change over a, a short period of time, because I think uh, a lot of us were saying in the middle of this, uh, I know that in our house, uh, we've been working extra hours as well, but we've had the philosophy and looked at one another, and go, well, at least we both still have a job. And, and I think that um, we have to keep that in mind as well, but it, it is curious as to what the strategy actually is here. Is this a reward, a thank you, uh, and, and who's going to end up w- with this money? Because based on the criteria,
1: it, it's, it's really tight. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, one of the things we're talking about this morning has to do with that wage top-up fund, $120 million wage top-up fund, so we'll revisit that at 737 because we're getting just uh, pummeled with text messages at 204-780-6868, and we thank you for that, but we want to just quickly revisit the topic of the worst sunburn you ever had, and I forgot to mention I had the two stories involving sunburns for me. One of them was how I uh, looked like a man lantern because of the folds of my stomach about 15 years ago, uh, but the other one involved, I was playing in a baseball tournament when I worked back at Taco Bell. I have found a way to bring it back to Taco Bell and it was outside all day long and I had my ball cap on backwards and it was a snapback cap so it has the, the cutout Uh, So my forehead, uh, I had like the pattern of a hat essentially burnt into my forehead and I looked ridiculous for the rest of the summer. It did not go away. I couldn't, I couldn't, and no amount of sun could even it out. So I felt rather foolish about that. Jay texting us saying, being a man with dark skin, I always thought I couldn't get a sunburn. Went to Jamaica in 2013. Ironically, it took me going to the land of my family origin to get the gnarliest neck and back sunburn to date. It's the only one I ever got. But I remember thinking, so this is what it's like. It faded in four days, but it hurt for about a week after. So, Jay, thanks for sharing that. Sorry I had to go through that. And uh, Mackling, we've got one from Falcon Lake. Yeah, OMG, the worst sunburn I've ever had was when
0: we went to Falcon Lake for the summer, and as I was in my early teens, I fell asleep for two and a half hours on my back, rolled over. Two, and a, two hours on my stomach. I looked redder than a cooked lobster, but the worst thing was when my mom and my mama put noxema. Do you guys remember noxema yeah. on me? And, oh, the bubbles the next morning were gross. And, oh, boy, oh, boy, that brings back some memories. Uh, yeah, I can remember uh, my mom's uh, skin uh, bubbling like that, too. Thanks for sharing that at 204-780-6868. I'd like to
2: think now there's an era of like, you know, we grew up at a time where you still wanted to have a tan, right? Mm -hmm. If you're pale, it was indicative of something like, oh, you never get out there. You're not outside or your skin doesn't look as good. I'd like to think now there's not that pressure, but I I don't know. I still have people comment when I go to the beach or something, they'll say like, do you get out much, McNabb? But I'm like, (laughs) I'm outside every day. I just, I am Irish Scottish. Like get over it. My skin does not tan.
1: Uliana, with an important reminder here as well to make sure that your sunscreen isn't expired. She says, I went to Dominican Republic with what I didn't know was expired sunscreen. After three excursions of snorkeling and sitting on boats and visiting different areas of the the island, I had to spend a full day in bed. I was maroon and had heat stroke. We missed an excursion and decided to spend our last full day in a Canadian-owned pub in Sosua watching Olympic hockey. When we got home, we had another week off, so we spent it on the couch peeling and watching the Olympics. McGarry and McNabb, text message from Lorraine. Some workers have had no job. You have got to be kidding me! Giving money to people that have an income? You choose your career whether it is working at Tim Hortons or healthcare, or working in grocery stores or construction. So you accept the risks that go with it. We do not need to be compensated. There hardly has been any COVID in any healthcare facility, grocery stores, etc. Really, I am a nurse and have not felt any risk. Give money to people who need it, and that money sent to seniors. That has got to be horrible. Please give money to people who are starving. Lorraine, thank you for that feedback. And keep those text messages coming at 204-780-6868, whether it's on the risk payout, whether it's on bad sunburns, whatever. You can also email Mackling at CJOB.com, McNabb at CJOB.com, or Brett at CJOB.com. Have you had a cough or fever over the last few weeks and wondered whether you should be tested for COVID-19?
2: Or perhaps you've actually had zero symptoms, but still wondered if it makes sense to see if your body is showing signs of the virus. And we're asking this question this morning because we know Manitoba has opened up testing for people who are asymptomatic, meaning they're not showing any symptoms. But our next guest thinks it's time that we take another look at a whole other group of people and really push this idea of more testing, Greg.
0: Yeah, Cynthia Carr is an epidemiologist with Epi Research. She's been joining us uh, throughout this uh, pandemic. Uh, Cynthia, great to speak with you again. So tell us uh, in your opinion and your expert opinion at that, why is it important for people who aren't showing any symptom, symptoms be tested?
8: Well, first of all, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, so again, we have to be clear that we know that testing is a finite resource. We can't just open up... Uh, the doors yet for everyone to be testing but it's great to see that with the resources that we have in the province um, that that there appears to be an opportunity that's being used now to move to what is called sentinel testing uh, for certain groups in the population so sentinel comes from that military term of a soldier keeping watch so looking for risk in the population that we can't see yet which is really important to allow us to react So right now, um, the stage that we're in with people who are asymptomatic is that if you're going to a doctor's appointment anyway, or if you're in the hospital, you are now being included um, in being given an opportunity to be tested. And I would really encourage people to please consider participating in that, because it really helps us, and we've seen from other countries, understand better the transmission of this disease and plan better. And it's really important In a disease like this, which as we've talked about multiple times, has that strategy of being asymptomatic for long periods of time but can still infect. So if you're going in for a doctor's appointment and you have no other symptoms but you're asked to be tested, that is the next phase, the new strategy to learn more about our population. I would like to see it opened a little bit further um, to include Uh, kids if possible Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that if you wanted to but that's the stage we're at and that's why the province is investing it's a really important part of the public health strategy that we don't just get complacent and say we don't have many cases but we keep now learning about what is there in the population even though you may have no symptoms at all.
1: We can talk about the kids in a moment, but actually I want to ask a, a sort of personal question, and I don't mm-hmm. want this to sound trivial, but mm-hmm. as someone who is single, who has a couple of irons in the fire on the dating scene, I'm wondering when is it safe to get physical with uh, someone again? And I'm wondering, should people in my situation be considering testing for that reason?
8: So again, um, if you were going to see your doctor for another reason, um, then you would be offered the test In terms of should you consider being tested, the first thing you want to remember is absolutely people are social. We miss getting out and dating or or any other activity. But we're the wild card in all of this. And remember that what the World Health Organization is telling us is for sure the biggest risk is face-to-face contact for 15 minutes or more where you're chatting or doing anything else because it's the opportunity of that virus to be expelled back up through our lungs or through respiratory droplets. So if you want to date and go for a walk or other things, um, you know, those are your own personal decisions about what do I understand what the public health has told me? What are my risks? What are the risks of people that I come in contact with? But again, um, it's the face-to-face, 15 minute or more conversation. Think of it that way, within six feet, that's the highest risk outside of the healthcare setting.
2: So, with this idea of just you know your, your the questions and concerns you might have with the contacts still out mm-hmm. there and the idea of a possible second wave, you didn't mm-hmm. just touch on the idea of schools. Are you suggesting this would be something we should do mass testing in
8: schools once if the kids return in the fall, Cynthia? it's interesting because the question has been throughout, are kids really good spreaders or not? Because we don't see a large number of cases in kids, um, but we need to be careful because as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we're at that tipping point, we're seeing a few cases of that kind of weird inflammatory disease uh, in children that could be their immune system reacting to the virus, and it could impact their heart. So we need to stay on top of it. It's interesting, though, because Iceland did a great deal of asymptomatic random testing, we have learned from them, first of all, 50% of positive cases were totally asymptomatic. But the other interesting thing they found is that in children only two cases were found where kids had infected their parents. And in all other cases where kids were infected, it was actually the parent to the child. So that goes back to learning, are kids good spreaders? And, of course, we hope the answer is no. Iceland seems to be telling us it's no. But that might be an ideal opportunity if there were resources at the school setting where kids are going anyway, just like we do fifth-grade immunization, Um, is to contemplate doing testing there amongst that population to get a better sense of what the um, uh, prevalence or the occurrence is in the population to get on top of that risk early. So if there were resources, that might be something that could be considered to help us understand better that spread, especially as kids are going back to school.
1: Cynthia Carr is an epidemiologist with Epi Research, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Cynthia, thank you so much for the time as always. My pleasure. Have a great day. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, there are a few words in the Winnipeg vocabulary that I think incite anger and rage. One of them is mosquitoes. But there are two other words that I think immediately trigger most people's anger. And, Loren, that is photo radar.
2: I was going to guess you would say photo radar or school zones or something to that effect. But either way, the idea that we have photo radar out there, red light cameras, speeding cameras, and, of course, our school zone enforcement going on. And some of them, that hasn't been happening, as usual, the past few months because of COVID-19. And so there's a report at the Winnipeg Police Board uh, that's going to be tabled next week that talks about revenue being down for photo radar. And to tell us more about this, we're joined by the chair of the Winnipeg Police Board, Kevin Klein. Good morning, Kevin.
6: Good morning. How are you?
2: We're good. Before I ask you our first question, I understand it's your birthday. Jeff Courier just sent me an email. Happy birthday.
6: Oh, (laughs) thank you very much. Uh, Yeah. Uh, 25. Oh, very good. Very good. That's why the hair is so... A long, long time. And it goes with, yes, with the hair. I have the hair.
2: (laughs) Well, before we get into some questions in terms of what's happening here, give us the, the, the numbers on the revenue and what hasn't been happening. Is it just because we've seen less enforcement, less people on the road? Or what's the forecast?
6: Well, I, we're going to hear more of that from the service, but I, it, of course, one would have to assume it is certainly because of the reduction in traffic. We, uh, uh, you know, quickly, we removed the school zone enforcement uh, from the 30K. Uh, they have uh, less, I th- believe it was 70% less vehicles. The MPI reported at one time, don't quote me on the numbers, somewhere around there. So we are down, when it looks like we're predicting about $7.5 million in photo radar, but it shouldn't be there in the first place.
0: I'm looking at some numbers that suggest uh, last year photo enforcement brought in just under $14 million, so I'm not sure how you're going to uh, be down by 50%, but... We'll put that aside. The math doesn't really matter right now. I think you touched on what does matter for a lot of Winnipegers, Councillor Klein, and that's the idea that photo enforcement is here under the guise of safety. And I think this highlights the fact what a lot of people have been saying for a long time. It's not about the safety. It's about the money.
6: It's a fair point. And I will say that you know from day one, when I was uh, granted that uh, opportunity to sit on the police board, I've always mentioned that it's bad management to assign revenue to a, a law enforcement and a community-driven service association, which the police service is. If they were doing their job and they, and, and people were, you know, educated on photo radar and educated on keeping at the right speed and, and not, you know, violating those laws, they wouldn't have the revenue anyways. And I think once you once they have assigned that revenue to the service, Well, that starts to support the argument of quota because a budget is a quota. Um, Mm -hmm. I would rather see that uh, that revenue be, you know, set aside and budgeted within the city's budget and used 100 percent for better crosswalks, traffic calming members, uh, items and, you know, flashing amber lights. All of that uh, should be what that money is used for, not not the way it's uh, done today. It's misleading how we represent it now.
1: Regardless of how one feels about it, and I think it sounds like we all kind of hate it, at least hate the fact that it's uh, portrayed as being there for safety, but should people who speed not be penalized for their actions?
6: I think they should be. Um, I've had calls with residents before. I had a call a couple of days ago from a resident who got pulled over for speeding, and they said, uh, you know, went on to tell me that police should be doing their job. And I said, like, going after people who break the law. And they said, exactly. And I said, you did. Um, So, you know, we had a little chuckle about it, but that's the reality. We need to maintain our speed. Everyone has now somehow accepted the fact that if it's posted as 50, it should be 60. You're fine to go 60. If it's posted at 7, you can go 80 and so on. Um, But we have to respect the traffic speeds. I mean, 50K in a residential area, that should be the max you ever go. It's better to go, you know, maybe you want to drive 40. Great. Watch out for kids. But, But maintain the speed limit because it is a law.
2: So this has come up a few times and fused few, few is an understatement, thousands of times from people. Then if it is about safety, and I, I can agree, if I'm speeding and I'm breaking the law, then I deserve that ticket. I don't disagree with that. But there has been this call repeatedly for a review so that people can know where these cameras are up, where these school zone enforcement zones are in place, where the red light cameras are in place. We've it's had an impact. It's reduced collisions by X percentage or what have you. And so I know that was in discussions last year. Did we move forward with that and trying to give people data to say, look, we're handing out tickets here because it's working. It's making a difference.
6: Last week, they released some data on the construction zones, active construction zones that Councillor Nason had requested. Uh, that data was released. They did show that a number of tickets were given in certain construction areas In school zones, I I think we can say they're working because there are tickets being issued, so there are people breaking the law, Um, and maybe there's as the revenue goes down, then we'll know this is great. Revenue's going down; less people are breaking the law. We can say that today only because of COVID. I I think you would, uh, you know, to have a police officer there. Um, to, you know, have radar in every school zone. Is that the answer you want? There's there's a lot of cost that comes with that. But the money, I agree, if you break the law, you get the ticket. But the money, 100% of that money, should be directed to uh, traffic calming measures or traffic safety measures. It should not be going to uh, wherever the, the public or wherever the mayor and EPC want to send it. That's not... Correct. That is the wrong way to manage revenues. They're not salespeople. They shouldn't be out there making money, like generating revenue. They should be out there helping the community.
0: If you can justify having that photo camera there, as I know on one school zone on St. Matthews Avenue, it's there every single day. And if you can justify that vehicle being there every day, it's generating enough money towards programs. It's also generating enough money to suggest that people aren't getting the message in my mind, Councillor Klein. Thanks for this.
6: Thank you very much, and I'll note that we had a, a lady in a neighborhood call because people were going through a stop sign. Traffic enforcement went and um, arrested or stopped a car, and it was that lady.
2: Oh, wow. That <laughs> oh, was complaining?
6: Yes, yes, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, there you go. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Listen to this text from Kevin. I was planning to go to Mexico. My girlfriend at the time said, Try my tanning. Try my tanning light to get a base. So I did. And after 10 minutes, I said, It's not working. So she said, Just go closer. So I put my face nice and close. Well, 10 more minutes went by and I quit. About an hour later, as I was getting my stuff ready for my ice hockey game, as he puts it in this text, I could smell a burning smell, and she said, My face was getting red. By the time I was getting my equipment on, fellow players were asking, What happened to my face? Comments like, Were you hit with a frying pan? You look like the pizza commercial where they are looking through the oven glass and the guy has a perfect red square on his face, except mine was round. Burnt eyelids are very painful, by the way. Non stop comments at the airport and on the plane. Definitely a burn I will never forget. So does that mean he was like he continued to cook like bacon yes. does,
2: Loren? Yeah, and I'm not sure about like modern day tanning beds now. I think they're obviously a lot, they have different, you know, requirements to them. But I'd be curious how old this light was because I do know that that was the issue. Like they'd say, go in for 10 minutes and you won't see results, like wait a day because Mm -hmm. your skin slowly, technically it bakes. That's how the color comes in the same way. Like I I was out in the sun, I was saying yesterday, and it was when I was going to bed last night that I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I think I did burn my shoulder, right? Like it slowly appeared through the skin it's not always obvious this is actually making me very concerned for kevin <laughs> oh boy <laughs> that, that is like he baked he cooked himself
1: greg did you ever watch uh, the show perfect strangers Oh, of course. Do you, remember, do you remember the episode where they had tanning beds in their apartment and they uh, they for, the, the timers broke or something and they both fell asleep in the tanning beds for like three hours? <laughs> no, I don't remember that episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they couldn't even walk after because their skin was so tight. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. Murder. Brutality. Reprehensible. Indefensible. Police worldwide, in unequivocal and unprecedented language, have condemned the actions of Minneapolis police in the custody death of a handcuffed black man who cried for help as an officer knelt on his neck, pinning him to the pavement for over eight minutes.
0: Yeah, Winnipeg Police Service... uh Chief Danny Smythe was among the members of the major cities' chiefs association, the MCCA, who signed uh, a letter that opens, or pardon me, that calls for the death of George Floyd. Uh, uh, they called it unnecessary, avoidable, and criminal. Danny Smythe joined Richard and Julie on the news yesterday. This morning, we welcome Winnipeg Police Association President Mo Sabrin to the start. Good
5: morning, Mo. Good morning.
0: We have to ask you uh, first and foremost, how did you feel when you saw that video of George Floyd begging for air under the knee and weight of three police officers?
5: Well, a very difficult situation to, to talk about, but I'm glad that you uh, folks are having me on this morning. Um, obviously, you know, that was something that shouldn't have happened. It uh, was preventable, and, uh, you know, our, our members are experiencing a, a wide range of emotions when they, they're they seeing that. Uh, obviously, sadness, because a life has been needlessly lost, but also of anger, because as a result of a few people's actions, it's uh, placed a microscope on the profession of policing and uh they're very angry about that
2: well it's plus a microscope as you said on the profession but just also on some of the tactics that might be used when it comes to uh, detaining someone arresting someone, mm-hmm. doing a suspect use of force is obviously a huge question for many before we ask you a question i just we wanted to run a clip from chief denny Smythe with his thoughts
3: i know every jurisdiction is different and and ours is Got its own nuances with labor relations, and, and uh, but the bottom line is, it's important to have a strong governance. Uh, I think in Manitoba we do. Uh, you know, there are, we hold members accountable. So, for example, if they're involved in a use of force encounter that involves injury or death, you know that takes on an independent realm. You know, we, we've now established the Iiu that that takes a look at that uh, independently.
2: So we've seen different questions raised about different tactics, Mo. When it comes to that deadly move with the knee on the neck there, is that taught or used by Winnipeg Police Service?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Well, before I answer that, I, I just want to uh maybe make a few comments about uh Chief Smythe's uh, comments. Um there there are specific differences between policing out of the US and in Canada where uh, in the US they're more militaristic where in Canada we're more community-based. And I can honestly say that uh Winnipeg probably has some of the best training uh in the world, and I can tell you that um a neck restraint, uh, as it's uh, referred to, is not taught here uh, as a uh, restraint technique, and it's actually prohibited as a restraint technique. Um, when I mention the training, I can also say that um, our members are uh, trained very well in adv- advanced training and recognizing when a subject is in medical distress, whether it's excited delirium, whether they're experiencing um, Uh, side effects of meth or cocaine. Um, Our members are taught that uh, if there's a need to restrain uh, a subject, once they're handcuffed, you put them into a recovery position if they're experiencing any type of uh, medical distress. And from those videos that we saw out of Minneapolis, that wasn't the case. And our members are not uh, trained that way. Um, We are trained to Uh, make sure that if somebody is in medical distress that there's uh, uh, procedures that we do follow, which also include calling ambulance immediately, uh, even before you may have to engage a subject.
1: Winnipeg lawyer Corey Sheffman was on CJOB yesterday. He works relentlessly on Indigenous matters of all sorts. We just want to play some of his comments and Chief Smythe's response to his comments.
3: You know, just last month, Winnipeg saw... Three indigenous people, including a 16-year-old girl, gunned down by police in the span of 10 days. Um, You know, this is a problem that is not new.
5: Now, this is all under investigation by the IIU. You can't say a lot, but the last one was a suspect in a stolen car ramming police. But how do you answer, Chief, those criticisms that, yes, your heart is in the right place as police chief, but actions speak louder than words, and Sheffman says those actions are still problematic and feed racism? How do you answer that, Chief? It's a tough question, but uh, it has to be
7: asked.
3: And it's a fair question. Uh, you know, you can't oversimplify or, or uh, you know, I, I've had conversations with many leaders in the community. They're concerned about the number of Indigenous people that are involved in us. And, you know, I have to trust in the systems that will look at that independently. So we will be accountable for each of those situations.
1: Mo Sabrin, does the Winnipeg Police Service have a racism problem?
5: Well, I think you're never going to completely eliminate racism in society. And there's going to be a certain percentage of um, people that become hired by the police service. I have not been witness to any specific racism. But uh, Chief Smythe does make a good point that there are so many levels of oversight that our members face that if there is um, behavior that uh, uh, shouldn't be happening, there's ways that it it can be dealt with. when we talk about use of force i'm going to tell you that no officer ever wants to use lethal force that's the last thing in their mind that uh they think that they're going to have to um you know uh, apply when when they show up for duty um it's it's a it's a dangerous situation and they're the members that were involved obviously felt that there was a threat to grievous bodily harm or, or death. Otherwise, lethal force wouldn't have been used. And um, to correlate that to the fact that uh, uh, the person's race, um, that, that doesn't play into it. When you're making a decision on whether um, grievous bodily harm or death is going to occur, you're, you're trying to stop a threat. And unfortunately, sometimes people lose their lives.
0: I was going to play another clip from uh, Chief Smythe here, but I think I'll just ask you, uh, Mo. You acknowledge the fact that uh, mm-hmm. you know, societally, we, we obviously we have people with with uh, views that that uh, we would like to to have altered. When you encounter, and when the police service or your 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 association realizes that you have an issue with an individual, how how difficult a is it for you to approach that? What do you do to approach it a, a, and try and uh, sort that out? Maybe uh, help that member see things in a different fashion or if he can't do that how difficult is is it for you or the police service to get rid of that person altogether
5: well it really depends on what the allegations are and and as a labor relations entity because we do have a labor ticket we're obligated legally to represent a member and if discipline is uh, warranted we're here to to make sure that it's fair, but there there's lots of uh, ways that dis- discipline can be handed down, uh, depending on how serious an allegation is. Uh, it could uh, include education, where you send somebody on sensitivity training, uh, and it, it could. Uh, result in dismissal if it is serious enough. Uh, In the labor world, dismissal is capital punishment uh, in the labor world. So we're obligated to represent and to ensure that uh, whatever discipline is handed down is is fair in the circumstance. Um, It's our hope that if people have views that uh, out there that that we, we don't believe in right, that they don't allow that to affect them in their professional life. And on a lesser example, I have certain political views, but I never, ever let that interfere with my duties as a police officer when I was
2: on the street. Before we let you go, Mo, you talked about just the different views that people might have and the perceptions they might have about what mm-hmm. On either side of the equation, whether it be the person that might be perceived to be committing the crime or the officer themselves, and mm-hmm. one of our listeners just text, texted in to say, esprit de corps is a problem, that police put loyalty to each other above the rule of law, and that cops are duty-bound to watch and say nothing when another cop does something wrong. And so this person points out that you know esprit de corps might be an issue. What do you say to that, that that whole idea that it's um, this uh, brotherhood or this unit that's protecting one another, uh, sometimes at cost?
5: Yeah, I, I think that was a thinking in the past, but uh, what we've seen um you know into the future is that that not isn't necessarily the way things are happening nowadays. Uh when you have um so many different forms of video out there and and not that we need to tell our members but we do just to reinforce the fact that when you're performing your duties out there do them as if you are being video recorded and in today's world that is very common and we've seen so many different videos from the incident in minneapolis that's uh there, there's no hiding uh, any actions that that uh, our members are taking anymore and uh, I think they're very cognizant of that. Uh, and I, I don't believe that there's a let's cover for, for everybody out there. When our members see something that is, is wrong, uh, they're speaking up.
1: We just got have about a minute left here, Mo. just want to quickly ask you, we have this Black Lives Matter rally happening Friday at the legislature mm-hmm. at 6 p.m. How do you, uh, how does the Winnipeg Police Service keep demonstrations peaceful?
5: Well the it's very uh, it's a very difficult thing to do <laughs> quite honestly because um unfortunately there are some people out there that will take advantage of a situation to uh turn something peaceful into violence. And and it's very unfortunate because the peaceful protesters message isn't being heard when things turn violent. We've seen that uh, down in down in the States. Um, I think the best thing that we can do is uh, have a visible presence there to make uh, the uh, peaceful protesters feel safe. And and hopefully that is the case. And what I tell a lot of people is, um, you know, if you are going to protest, uh, it's everybody's right to, to protest, but please keep it peaceful because you have to remember that our members are out there as well. They have family and they have loved ones that want them to come home safe at the end of the day. So, you know, it's our hope that it will be a, a very peaceful protest and uh, the message gets heard because it, uh, it does have to be heard.
1: Winnipeg Police Association President Mo Sabrin joining us live on 680 CJOB. Mo, thank you for the time as always, sir.
5: Thank you very much for having me on.